0: Well welcome, um, it is great every Sunday to set some time aside and, and worship and, and I want to in personally invite you, we want our staff wants to invite you this Friday to Good Friday service. Um, it's going to be a heavy worship night and a night of just reflection, in fact as you get here Friday night you'll be have a card, you'll have some time just to kind of reflect and unplug from the week a little bit. Just invite you to come and then to celebrate Easter with us next Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock here. So, we've been in this series called Final Words, looking at the words Jesus said from the cross. And we looked at the first week, Mary Brian talked about this idea of uh, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that this flow of forgiveness is meant to mark the life of us as followers of Jesus because it marked his life, even in the darkest moment forgiveness still flowed. And even in those moments, continue to be a part of who he is, and therefore it needs to be part of who we are. Last week we looked at this idea where Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And this cry of abandonment that we begin to see, we realize the depths of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, what he endured through that. We saw that that actually ties back to Psalm 22, that what Jesus was, when he was hanging on the cross, what he was hanging onto was the scriptures. That it's not about our feelings, because feelings can be deceiving. It's about the truth of God and what we hold on to in that. And so as we hold on to those things, we begin to see even the dark side of Psalm 22 and what it begins with, because thousands of years before, it's foretelling of the the crucifixion and what Jesus is going to endure. But the end of Psalm 22 is that an unborn generations will hear and see what Jesus did for them. And we're a part of that. We're a part of that promise that was fulfilled what Jesus did. And so as we continue to look at some of these phrases, we're going to look at this idea tonight of this three-word phrase that Jesus says from the cross. We recognize today is uh, is Palm Sunday the week where Jesus begins to to make his way into Jerusalem, and so this is Holy Week as we make our way to Good Friday and to Easter, and that this is the reality of what was gonna happen, and we know uh, I've gotten the chance to go to Jerusalem and to be in Israel, and uh, what's fascinating is uh, Skull Hill where they talk about and they kinda say this is where the crucifixion probably, most likely happened, you could see it today, and it kinda looks like a, a face skull in the side of a hill, that's why it was called that, and the interesting thing is it's right on a main thoroughfare. What's interesting about that is why Rome did that. See, the Persians were the ones who invented crucifixion. The Romans just took it and made it better. That's not the right word, but they made it a better killing machine, basically. And so they improved crucifixion, which we wouldn't say is improved, but they made it more, uh, more desperate, and and just rougher. What's what's crazy to think about is that they killed thousands of people on this one hill that overlooks a main road that would be coming in and out of Rome. Do you know why you do that when you're Rome? Why you do that when you're Rome is to, to basically point out to people who are leaving your, leaving your city or coming into your city, we're in charge. You're not. This is what happens when you go against the mighty Rome. That's why you do it there. And so we begin to see a greater picture of what's going on. And the fascinating thing about that is, friends, Jesus accomplished more on the cross than we will ever get our minds and arms around and our heart around. Can I read you what Paul writes in Colossians chapter one? For he rescued us from a dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies, but now you've been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly into God's sight without blemish and free from accusation. What Jesus did on the cross changes everything for anyone. Who's willing to come to the place to say, I put my faith in Jesus? So turn with me to John chapter 19. And this is where we're going to get to tonight this phrase that Jesus has, this next phrase that he says. Because it's the most profound statement Jesus ever said. He said a lot of incredible things. But I believe this is the most incredible thing that he's ever said because he completed something. Here's what it says. In John 19, uh, starting in verse 28, it says this, later, knowing that everything uh, now had been finished so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. That's another prophecy from the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled over 25 different prophecies from the Old Testament that said, this is what the Messiah will do, and he did all of them. And in that moment, he says, I'm thirsty, which is another Old Testament prophecy, hundreds and hundreds of years before, fulfilling that. And then he gets to this place. They put a sponge and a stock and a hyssop plant up to his lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And I want you to notice what's in your Bible. It's a period. It is finished. It's not a finished comma. It's not, it is finished semicolon. It is finished, period. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished with that. He bowed his head, gave up his spirit. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus gave up his life. He declared, it is finished. And he declared something in that moment that can never be undone and never needs to be redone. He declared in that moment an accomplishment of a task of dealing with the sin of humanity, of your brokenness, my sin and my brokenness, The curtain of the temple is torn. We'll get there in a little bit. It's ripped in two, signifying that there's no way, there's no more barriers between us and God. Through Jesus, we have access to God the Father. These three simple words in English are one word in Greek, and I want to teach you one Greek word tonight. You ready? Here it is. Pronounce it this way, tetelestai. So let's practice together. Tetelestai. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Tetelestai. Okay, okay. It is finished in English, is tetelestai in Greek. It's one word. That's important because we'll come back to it at the end. Tetelestai has at its core this idea of a completion of a transaction. That back in that day, it had, tetelestai was mean, meant that this interaction, this transaction was now complete and finished. Whatever the agreement was, it is now completed and finalized. Nothing else needed. That's important to understand. The word meant this idea. It was a happy word, like when you use the word to It was happy because whatever the thing you were trying to do was done. It was finished. How many of you've ever finished school before? You finished high school, to right? Anyone ever finished college, to you Anyone working on their master's right now or their doctorate? You're awesome to tell us, I hopefully in the future for you. So, this idea is to be finished, to be done. Anyone ever done a backyard project? And then you're done to tell us, I. You're done. It's finalized. It's finished. It's important. What did he finish? Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, I'm finished. He didn't say, You're finished. He said, It is finished. So, what's the it? What what did Jesus accomplish? See, the fundamental issue of the cross and what we celebrate on Good Friday and what we celebrate through Holy Week as Jesus goes to the cross and then is resurrected is this mission that he was on. The cross was addressing the issue of sin, the penalty and the consequences of sin upon human condition in regards to our relationship with the holy and perfect God. God is set apart. He is a different we are made in his image, but we are not him. Look at your neighbor. Say, you're not him. Yeah, literally, look at your neighbor. You're not him. Because He set apart, he's different. In that moment, when you come to a biblical understanding of sin, as in a word maybe we don't like to use a whole lot uh, in our vernacular, in our context, but sin, has it's not the idea of breaking an arbitrary rule. God set up a rule and you broke it. It's, it's not necessarily just that. As a parent, we sometimes have rules over our kids for their good, for their benefit, whether they recognize it or not. We are saying, hey, this is for your good. And, and parents, any, any parent here ever had their kid kind of break that rule? I don't know. I, we got perfect kids here. so. Um, but you, you see that violation. And really what that is, it's a relational violation. It's not just breaking an arbitrary rule. It's a relational violation. We have a trust relationship. And when you choose not to trust, you're distrusting that that person actually has your best at heart. And it's violating the relationship and it's creating dissonance in that relationship and brokenness within it. When the Bible talks about sin, when the scripture's can begin to unpack that, it's a very pictorial word. Uh, Anyone ever been archery shooting before? Okay, a few of you. Uh, You have a target out here, right, as an archer, and you're aiming for that target. The word sin, when you read that in the Bible, is literally like an arrow missing the target, meaning here's the target we're supposed to hit. We're aiming at that. God's the one who set that up because he created everything, and therefore he has the sway to say, here's how it should be. I want you to be perfect like I'm perfect. Jesus gets to establish that because he created everything. God says, This is the way it's to be. I want you to be perfect because I'm perfect. And so sin means I'm violating that relationship because maybe I'm choosing my best over God's best. And it's also this idea of I'm missing the mark. I'm missing the target. I'm off kilter in how I'm aiming, the trajectory of what I'm doing. And we all miss the mark. I don't think there is anyone in here if I were to say to you, Hey, are you perfect? I don't think anyone would raise their hand. If I would say, hey, are you good? Maybe a lot of hands would go up. I- I'm good. I- I'm not. I'm not perfect. Why? Because you even recognize, and I even recognize, that in our goodness and in our effort to be good, we're not perfect. There's brokenness still within us. Then our actions, our reactions, our thoughts, uh, what we dwell upon, what we even choose to do. We would say, I fall short of that. And the scriptures back that up. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 20 says this, Indeed there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Isaiah 53, which is all about the Messiah, all about Jesus and the whole crucifixion and what he came to do and his whole mission in life says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all this is what's happening in this moment on the cross when jesus says to telestai it's more significant than you can ever get your mind around it's more significant and impactful than we can ever understand everything that's going on in the cosmos let alone for you for me it's significant John chapter seven, Jesus is telling this story about this woman who needs forgiveness and he gives forgiveness and he talks about the story of people who have these outstanding debts. And the one that has the greatest outstanding debt is forgiven the debt and he turns to the Pharisees who are in the room and says, who, who accepts or who kind of responds in a greater way? And the person says, well, I guess the one who was forgiven much will love much. And Jesus is like, yeah. See, the problem is, I think in our culture, we forget how big a debt we owe. We think in our goodness that we're better than. We're better than those people. And so therefore, we think the debt is actually pretty low of what I owe to a perfect and holy God. But the reality is, our debt is a whole lot bigger than maybe you'd ever get your mind around. And it's more significant. We, we tend to live by some approaches in life. People approach life and they say, well, maybe, maybe it's really not all that bad. A lot of people live by the creed. Well, if I do enough good, then, then I can rectify and I can work this out. If I just do enough good, if I have enough attendance in church if I pray often enough, if I serve enough people around me, if I give enough money to good or godly things, if I'm kind enough to the people around me, even the trouble annoying people at work, if I'm kind to them, if I do enough good deeds, then I can compensate for my mistakes and the shortfalls, and then I'll pay off this debt between a perfect and holy God and myself. I, I recognize I'm not perfect, but maybe I'm pretty good, and so I'll just work really hard To kind of compensate for this. We kind of live with this idea that there's some cosmic spiritual scale out there and that, yeah, I've done a lot of bad things and that's weighted down, but I'm going to do enough good things. In fact, I'm just going to try to do one or two more good things than my bad things and the scale will work out. But there's a problem with your premise and your hypothesis. It doesn't work. The debt you owe to a perfect and holy God, the one I owe, cannot be completed or fully compensated by an imperfect people. It's way above our pay scale. We couldn't make it right. So if we're not perfect, maybe we just try to be good. Maybe we, maybe we hope out of God and, and we know he's good, so maybe out of his goodness he'll, he'll grade on a curve. <laughs> Anyone been in school? Had a test where your whole class bombed? And then the teacher said, I'm going to grade on a curve. And it was like happiness and birds sang, right? All throughout the classroom as your C went to an A. And you're like, this is the best day ever. And those of you who had an F, you know, went to a C, or unless you were closer to an H, and then you just got a D. But um, this whole idea of the grading on the curve, right? Maybe God, out of his goodness, he's just going to go, well, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be so-so. And so he's gonna grade on a curve where he kind of helps us out, but here's the reality. God doesn't grade on a curve because he's perfect and he's holy and he's set apart and he says, look, you gotta be perfect like I'm perfect. The problem is we're not. And so if God doesn't grade on a curve, but what if, what if, I'm, what if I'm just close enough What if I do enough good things, God out of his goodness, kind of when I get there, he kind of says, well, all right, I'm feeling lucky today, feeling happy. Um, What if I just get close? Is that going to be enough? Uh, We're in March Madness, right? That would be like in a championship game in a week or so, right? Whoever gets there, we know it's not Arizona. Okay. Um, But um, whoever is in the championship game, it's tied 85 to 85 with five seconds left. And the ball is passed to the star player. They take a two or three dribbles up the court. They pull up and they shoot. And the ball is spinning perfectly. It's actually on a pretty good line to the rim. It hits the backboard and begins rolling around the rim like once, twice, three times. And it's hanging on the rim. And then it falls off and down onto the floor. Time expires. And the player runs over to the ref. Ref! Ref! you got to give me that shot. That was close. And we would go, well, no, that's not how you play basketball. That ain't right. You missed. It didn't go in. Like, it has to go in. And see, when we, when we think we can just get close, it just doesn't hold up to a perfect and holy God who says, no, it's got to go in. It's not like horseshoes. You don't just get close. And the reality is you're not as close as you think you are. So maybe if I'm a good person, maybe how do I get right into a relationship with God? That I've got to find this idea that there's this vast gap between a perfect and holy God and myself, my own brokenness, I'll admit it, I, I know it, and I, so I've gotta figure out a way. If I can't just get close, or if I have gotta work really hard to try to get there, or maybe if we just buckle down enough, I can close the gap between that. That'd be like, uh, how many of you are swimmers, right? So that would be like all of us. We go to California, right, we're on the beach, and we say, hey, guys, we're awesome people. And uh, even though you've never swam, uh, we've got these floaties for you and uh, the rest of us who are pretty good swimmers, we're going to take off, we're going to make it to Hawaii. You all ready? We're going to do this. We're totally going to do it. We psych ourselves up. We sing kumaya, whatever we do to get psyched up. And we jump into the water, and we begin to swim our way to Hawaii. We could totally do this, right? And after we go and we go, we're paddling as hard as we can, as far as we can, and after, people are just starting dropping out like flies, right? People are just dropping off. And after I get out there and look back at the rest of you, I'll I wouldn't swim uh, but I get back and look at you and we all, we all have the same result right we're all drowning because swimming from California to Hawaii is stupid that's why they make planes right no one does that the, the gap is too far and that is why Jesus had to come That's the simplest way I can put it. To say why Jesus as a savior needed to come and get to a moment where he hung on a cross to pay for your sin and your brokenness and my sin and my brokenness before a perfect and holy God The only way for us to have a right relationship isn't about being good enough. It isn't about trying to be close. It isn't about trying to work hard enough to close the gap. The gap is too big. Your debt is too big. You cannot pay it off on your own. The cross at its very core is that the issue of sin gets addressed by the only one who had a say and a way to fix it. It is. Is finished to tell us that. And in that moment, Jesus wrote a check for your debt, and the resurrection proved that the check cleared. And in that moment, we are given the opportunity through faith in Him, not faith in our works, not faith in our good deeds, not faith in trying to get close enough, faith in what He did that we could have life with God, that it's now available because of what Jesus accomplished. It's what the Apostle Paul writes as he begins to say we are hidden in Christ. Literally, when God the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus because Jesus paid for you. You are hidden in Christ as a follower of Jesus. To to Tetelestai is not a grumbling thing that Jesus said on the cross. It is a victory shout. It is finished, period. And in that moment, a cross that overlooked a road, and in that moment, a cross that would say, this is the ultimate sign of defeat, it was flipped. And it's now the ultimate sign of God's incredible victory. For you, and for me, and for anyone who would say, I need Jesus. That's the point. It's no more me trying to figure out how to pay the debt of sin or brokenness to try to be right with the Holy God. It's no me trying to figure out how to get right with God. It's God figured out a way to get rid of me because he loves me. See, the entire system of the Old Testament was trying to deal with the issue of sin. That's why they had the whole sacrificial system. But all that was was a layaway plan until the Lamb of God came, Jesus, and he made the ultimate sacrifice. The Day of Atonement, you can read in Leviticus chapter 17, it was a crazy day. It was a day where the priest, the, the high priest of the day, would be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies with a rope tied around his ankle in case he died. Because no one ever went back there except the high priest one, one day a year. On the day of atonement. And he would offer a sacrifice for his sins and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And the whole nation of Israel would line up and watch this happen. Why? Because you wanted to make sure the debt got paid so you could be right with God. And it happened every single year, once a year. But the problem is the very next day, you did dumb stuff. I would have done dumb stuff. I still do dumb stuff, right? And it's breaking this relational violation with God. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says this In the past, God spoke through our ancestors, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is finished, there's nothing else needed to do. There's nothing else needed. If the Son has set you free, you are what? You're free indeed. That's John chapter eight. Can I remind you of some final words? Here's Buddha's final words. Strive without ceasing. Here's Jesus' final words. It is finished. I'll go with Jesus." And that really wasn't his final words. It was the final words before death, before the resurrection. And after the resurrection, his final words was, "Long before the Terminator, I'll be back." And he's coming back. These final words are important. Tony Evans writes this, on the cross God took the penalty so that he could still love the sinner while paying for the sin in order to satisfy his wrath so he could express his love without compromise in his perfection. Jesus gives a victory statement and gives up his spirit. In Matthew 27 it says in that moment the temple, um, the temple curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn. Now, You and I, we rip a piece of paper, right? This is different than that. This is a 60-foot tall curtain that is super thick, almost soundproof it's so thick. And it's torn from the top to the bottom. This was not a human going in there with a big giant pair of scissors and cutting it. Something happened in this moment. That's what Jesus accomplished something more than we could ever know and in this moment when jesus says to die," the temple curtain is torn and no longer is there anything between us and meeting with god because of faith in jesus to die. the temple was all about no access it limited but in that moment it declares what the bible declares over and over if the son has set you free you are free indeed and you can have a right relationship with God. It is finished was not a death gurgle. It is finished is not I'm done for. It is finished was a cry of victory. And what the Gospels say is that what happened that day, this tool and instrument of death, became the symbol of ultimately God's victory over sin and brokenness on behalf of humanity, to tell us that. This idea of us being at a place where we can understand that there's nothing else left to do. I went to the store today. I bought something. Ooh. I got one of these. What is this? A receipt. What does this receipt prove? That I paid for it, right? Here's the interesting thing about the Greek word to Tetelestai. Scholars in the last 200 years have discovered more and more uh, papyrus papers from the first century. Common receipts from there. Do you know what's stamped on the top? Take a wild guess. Tetelestai. So it is finished literally means paid in full. Here's the receipt to prove it. That's what Jesus is doing in that moment. So here's the invitation for you this week. A couple different things. One, anytime you buy something this week, this Holy Week, I want you to take your receipt before you shove it in your wallet, in your purse, in your pocket, and I just want you to look at it and go to telesty. Paid in full. I don't care if it's at Taco Bell. I don't recommend it. But where if, Home Depot, wherever you go, to telesti, paid in full, nothing else owed. That's why Paul writes in Romans: there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation anymore. It's paid in full to die. See, the invitation here is real simple. As we enter into Holy Week, it's remembering the significance of what Jesus did and more so what he accomplished on the cross. And so as we move into just a continued time of worship and as we look at taking uh, the lord's supper together tonight i just want to invite you there's a couple different people in the room one is maybe you've been here you've been around church you've been around this whole spiritual pursuit of jesus and trying to understand him a little bit more and i i can't tell you how proud i am of you being here i know it takes guts coming to a place i know it takes courage trying to figure out your own spiritual journey and if you have never gotten to a place where you've given up on trying to be good enough or trying to get close enough or trying to work really hard to get right with the God of the universe can I just remind you you don't have to and you're going to fail if you try that's why Jesus said it is finished to tell us die Paid in full. You can have a right relationship with God. You can have life with God through coming to a place where you echo those three words of Jesus with your own three words. I need Jesus. And you come to a place in your own life where you say that. I need Jesus. I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. And if that's you tonight, then tonight is the night for you to respond that way. I would love to pray with you. Brian would love to talk with you. Talk with a friend who brought you. The second group of people who's here is we've been walking with Jesus for a long time and Jesus is a good buddy and he's a good friend and that's awesome. I want you to have that kind of intimate relationship but listen, Jesus is way more than your good buddy. He did something for you that calls for you to say everything I've got, Jesus. I want to give back to you because you gave everything for me. And it calls us to a place of saying, Jesus, I want to follow you above all other things. And as you enter into Holy Week this week, it's reminding yourself to tell a There isn't anything I have to do to earn a right standing with God. Now I get to, I get to express my love back to Jesus with everything I've got. Not to earn anything, I already got it. But to show him that I'm grateful for everything he's done for me. And so as you take the Lord's Supper tonight, in a moment, just remember that. As you hold that cup, as you hold that bread, that what Jesus did, his broken body, his blood that was spilt for the payment of your sins, accomplished so much, not just for you, but for the world. And this cry for us to have a right relationship with God. And so Father, that's what we pray we just enter into a time of just remembering. Jesus, your phrase of it is finished, to tell us die, may that linger in our minds and our hearts this week that every time we hold a receipt, we remember that it was your death on the cross that was payment for our sin and the resurrection proved that your check cleared that we are getting to be made right with you, not because we're trying to be good enough or get close enough or, or work hard enough, but simply because we came to a place that said, I need Jesus. For those who are here who maybe are at that place where they want to say that, Holy Spirit, would you draw them to respond to you in that love? Would you draw the rest of us to respond to you that we get to love you back now? We get the privilege of being at rest because you did it all. And now we get to respond and work simply to say we love you, not to earn anything, but to just tell you that we love you. And so would you stir our hearts and commune in these next couple songs as we worship together. Would you move in our midst and help us to take a next step this week with you? We ask that in Jesus' name.